Super duper Kyle. Is that the new is that the new term? That's actually a rapper that I saw the other day. Super duper Kyle is yeah. his name. He's really good. Is he super and duper? He's so he good. Everyone in the band is super duper something. All right, let's get back on track. Uh, who's on the show tonight? It's Ian Hunt, who's a good friend of mine and runs a comedy show out in Brooklyn called Good For You. It's in the back of a bar called Cantina Royale, and it happens on the first Saturday of every month. So what's Ian going to talk to us about? Uh, he's going to tell us a story about Harry Potter and cocaine and... Are you serious? You know what? I think we just got to get right into it because I'm not going to do it justice. Let's do it. So welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Ian Hunt runs Good For You Comedy Show out of Williamsburg in Brooklyn in the back of Cantina Royale. Yes. Uh, it happens once monthly, right? Every first Saturday. Every first Saturday of the month. It's very yeah. specific. Very specific. It's a very specific show. And how long have you been doing that for now? Uh, I've had the show for three years. I've only been doing comedy for two years. So how does, how how does that work? So I just never thought I could do stand-up. Or Well, I, I tried it a few times, but when you... When you first start and you bomb, at least for me, I would have panic attacks. I would freak out. So I was like, this is never going to work out for me. So I still want to be around it, though, because I was obsessed with stand-up. So we, me and my buddy Eric Schmidt, started producing a show uh, and then just booking the best people we could find. And then it got weirdly big. <laughs> and then, like, like the first year in, I'm like, I don't want to be a producer. This is awful. I wanted the, the whole thing is to do it. So... Uh, yeah, so I, I started doing open mics and then I jumped in and hosted it. And I think that really kind of gave me a boost because all of a sudden I was surrounded by these people who've been doing it for 10 years and have been on Conan and Letterman and stuff. And I had to like catch up and be as funny as them. Did, I mean, I'm not yet, but did you have good comics like right from the start. <laughs> yeah, I it's weird. People people ask us, like, how do you get these people on the show? And I think it was like, uh, it was just like a naive thing. We just asked people and they did it. We were just like, hey, we got a comedy show. And we would ask people that are, you know, we would go to shows at comedy clubs and harass people that were on the shows. And weirdly, like a bunch of them did it. Who was the first person to say yes that really surprised you? Barack Obama. Had well, to be. <laughs> Barack's tight 10 is great. Uh, <laughs> he's an insult comic. He just... <laughs> Lots of crowd work there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, that's the thing that, like I said, I we we didn't know what we were doing, so we just assumed everybody would say yes. Is there anybody did. who sticks out though in the beginning? Well, Dave like, Hill, do you know who that is? Yeah, I know. Yeah. I was there for that show. Yeah, he was on our first show, and you know he had written a book. He had traveled all over the world doing stand up. Like he's been on all the shows. He's a big deal. He's in a band that's popular, you know. <laughs> and he just he just did it. I remember that show too because I think the first two minutes of it was him doing a mic adjustment. I don't yeah. want to give away his bit, but yeah, that was the first time where I was like, "Wow, this this is a big, this is a relatively big <coughs> name." Because I knew who he was at the time, mm-hmm. and I knew that you had booked him, and I knew that Eric Schmidt was a part of it, and those three things all together just didn't make sense. Yeah, at the time. yeah, it really did. It still doesn't. Every time I do the show, I'm like, "What? Like this next person's been on Conan and Broad City and." was voted the most popular comedy album of 2015 or whatever. And then, like, wait, what? What are we doing? Like, I don't know. Did you have an audience that first show? Uh, yeah, it was a pretty good audience, right? Yeah. it's it, uh, This is a show, by the way, every month that there's standing room only. Yeah, like, it I doesn't mean, matter I, I, what month it is. I've been to, like, half a dozen of them, and I never have a seat. It's obnoxious, but... Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm early. Yeah. It's a fantastic show. 
Uh, was there a moment, so now that you guys are a little bit further into it, you're a little bit bigger, people know the show. It's been written about in Time Out and Village Voice, right? Mm -hmm. Are people approaching you to do the show? Oh, yeah, constantly. Yeah? Yeah, we get messages all the time, and uh, I don't know. Sometimes, sometimes we book them. I, I usually don't book people unless I either like them. That was the whole idea. We were going to handpick people we liked, mm -hmm. or people we really like are like, hey, this guy's coming from L.A., you should check him out. You know, you can't deny the opinion of, you know, I don't know, Sean Donnelly or, who you know, Rojo Perez is a guy who's been a big supporter of our show. And he introduces us to a lot of people. And we always put those people up because he's got great taste. And, he you know, and they're usually good people. They're usually writers for Saturday Night Live or, well, not from L.A., but, you know, <laughs> It would be like an interesting that, so. time difference for them. Yeah, yeah. They just fly in for the show. Uh, so what was the moment where you were like, fuck it, I'm going to do, I'm going to do a set? Did you start out hosting, or oh, did you start uh, doing sets at the show? Yourself? I had to do. I did six months of open mics, just like you constantly. did six months of open mics. Yeah, well, like I said, I mean, you know, somebody like Mark Norman, who is just a, a force. Like he's top of his game. He's unbelievable. He does our show all the time, and I can't go up there and do five minutes. That's just complete garbage. Like, I got to figure out <laughs> kind of how to do this thing before I start bringing these people up. Even though when I did start hosting. After that six months of open mic, uh, it was kind of garbage. It was kind of awful. And looking back on it, it's kind of cringeworthy. But um, I've, I've heard your set though; it's pretty good. Well, now now I feel like I'm I'm getting there. I'm what, doing well, you know. What was it like the first moment where you were just like, "Yeah, I killed it." Oh man, I don't even know if I even have that now. If really? I ever think like that, <laughs> I just don't have that. You know, people say like to be a good comedian, you have to be a little bit delusional, and you have to always kind of think you're really good. Mm -hmm. And that's that's part of it that scares me because I don't have that at all. You know, people have to tell me a hundred times I did well that night. You know, everybody has to shake my hand and maybe, and then I have to go back and listen to it and li like because I record every set and uh, listen to the laughs and then maybe I'll be like, okay, I'm pretty good at this. And that only lasts until you know I eat shit at the next open mic. Which I, th is I think you're mic. pretty good at it. How well, often you. do you eat shit at open mics? Like how much well, of that's, it is a grind? That's a tough question because. Um, like the open mic I just went to today was five people in the basement, most of them on their phones. So everybody ate shit. So it's 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 not like I'm doing worse than them, but it's still tough. It's still tough for me. I don't know why. Just even though I see everybody go up, maybe I see somebody's great go up and nobody's even paying attention to them. You know, people are getting up to go to the bathroom and stuff. I know that in my head. I know that that's happening. But then I go up and I still, for some reason, think I'm gonna, you know, I should, I deserve laughs or something. Not deserves deserve laughs, but get upset when I don't get them. You know what I mean? That's part of that delusion, though. Yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah, I guess you're right. Um, well, it's uh, so it's more fear than delusion, though. You know, I'm, I'm fear. I have fear of not getting the laughs. I don't. I, I think I put that poorly. I, I don't think I deserve <laughs> it. I think I, I'm afraid to not get it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I've heard from other friends who do comedy that it's those basement shows are tough because it's other comics that you're standing in front of who are writing jokes, who are looking at their own set. Yeah. How many of those guys do you see night to night at different open mics? Like when you're when you're down there tonight at the Village Lantern, it was. Mm -hmm. How many of those other guys have you seen on the the open mic circuit? Oh, recently? Almost almost all of them. Yeah. If I don't know them by name, I know their faces at least. And then there's a couple that I know very well that mm. were there tonight. You know, they show up and we start start a conversation where it left off last time we saw each other like you know yesterday or whatever but um it was crazy recently i went to um an audition it wasn't an audition but it was um 
you stand in line at the at the comic strip and they give you a ticket and then you get a date to audition in the future and yeah wow yeah to be on to like be a working comic to get past that's what what it's called so i went there and the line was around the block of open micers and i knew almost all of them <laughs> <laughs> and then we went in i'll show you a, a a photo on my phone later but we went in and uh the comic strip is huge it was standing room only and they had to count by groups of uh 10 and i was there for about an hour i think as you went up and you got your all we did was give them our phone number and get a date and we were there for wow, that so you're long. not even performing that day right because there's that many of us new york is so oversaturated it's crazy wow so, so you stand there for an hour and they give you a phone there they give you a date and then mm-hmm. you go back and what happens I I haven't done this. Okay. But, uh, so this is the first time through. Yeah. So the next time we talk, you may have been passed by. So that's what it's called. Probably it's called getting not. passed. Yeah. So you go and you get an audition, and if you kill it, then they put you on and they pay you. Yeah, they start booking you for. I mean, I haven't done this, but I yeah. think they start booking you for what's called a check spot, which is like uh, at the end of the night when the waitress is coming around with their checks and nobody's paying attention to the comedian on stage. That's the first. That's where you start off, and if you do well there, you work your way up. And uh, there's a lot of philosophies on this. Like some people, some people that are really good and really popular don't even do these clubs. They like the bar shows, you know, because they think it's a, a racket or they don't pay enough. Or um, what do they pay? I, I don't know. I think like uh, not much in Co- New York. Like a, I don't think they like I a think couple like, hundred or less no. Than I that. think it's like fifty bucks a show. Really? And a I think of so. Probably right. Yeah, I'm sure you get some drinks, but I think if you're going to be a comedian, you make your money going on the road make a lot more in the in the middle of the country or like a place like caroline's on broadway mm-hmm. um which is Times square touristy right, stuff right, right. Or, Do you, make, you, you know, make a lot at caroline's yeah they make a they charge a lot more at the door and stuff yeah I we, think. We, had, we had a friend that was on there um and I, I didn't know that they paid well but that's great because he does that a lot our friend is doing fantastic by the way who's your friend uh joe para Oh yeah, yeah. Joe, yeah. Joe Parra's doing great. Former former roommate Joe Parra, who yeah, uh, every day posts a picture of a tomato on Instagram. You should check him out. Really? It's hilarious. Yeah. Uh, it's I just pictures that. of tomatoes. <laughs> he's Sometimes amazing. Yeah, he's a, he's a, an interesting character for sure. Yeah. But so you've been doing stand up for about two years now. Yeah. Have, so have you started doing the road shows? When do you make that transition? Man, it's all it's all about how you work it. There's a lot of philosophies on this. Like I, I have friends who are just going for it they're just good at the business stuff and they're you know you know i have a friend who's doing college tours and getting paid well over a thousand dollars every night to do an hour you know and uh and then there are people like me who i think really want to hone the craft and get like great at it and that's that's kind of the point for me Mm. as opposed to also i'm just not good with the whole networking and business side you know i want to get the jokes like perfect and there's those are two different philosophies and i don't think one's better than the other well isn't isn't you know to a certain point uh like the whole point of doing the show good for you is to get better at the networking and and meet a lot of people well i'm still terrible at the networking really (laughs) yeah yeah that's why my buddy eric he does like because when i'm there uh, before the show not so much now you know, I kind of misrepresented myself earlier saying that I'm like it, 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 throwing a fit every time I, I bomb now. I, th- I think I've gotten better at that. Like I've relaxed a little bit more. But it used to be like a good for you. I would show up and I would be in a panic and everybody <laughs> would want to talk and like, you know, network or do whatever. And I, I'm like, you're I'm, in the corner slugging beers. Yeah, I gotta, yeah exactly. I got a <laughs> flop sweat going and I, I got to walk around the, the block a few times. I still do that every show. But um, 
so Eric's there to talk to these big name comedians, and he's he's you know charismatic, friendly guy, and he also doesn't have to go up on stage, so he's a little bit more <laughs> relaxed. And uh, so I let him handle all that stuff. And there's these guys that I've known for years now, these big comedians who I'm barely on a first name basis with them, just because I'm worrying about my own shit. I don't have time to, you know, try to so, network, get on their podcast or whatever. So it's <laughs> what we're here for. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> There's a difference though between an open mic set and a good for you set, right? Like you Oh yeah. How much of the open mic set is things you're just coming up with on the spot and how much is stuff you've pre-written to test out? Like do you wing it on stage? Sometimes. I mean, if there's if there's people that go up and they they say something and that like sparks something in your head, you'll go up and riff off of that. There's open mics that are set up in a different way. Like uh there's an open mic where they give you a topic and you riff off of it. That's that, kind of cool. Yeah, it is cool. Unless you can't think of anything, that's awful. <laughs> but, is that, uh, that kind of like improv? Yeah, kind of. That is improv. Yeah, it's a, it's ad libbing or whatever, okay. you know, riffing, you know. Um, so yeah, then like today I went to an open mic because specifically I had two new things I had thought of and I wanted to try those out. And then once uh, those bombed, I <laughs> what did you do today that bombed? Oh man, I talked about. Um, People that talk about their kids and how that's never interesting. Like it's always about like <laughs> gymnastics or whatever. And like it, one day I want to have a conversation with somebody at work about their kids where it's like, you know, turns out their kid is just a dead cat that they dress like a boy or like a <laughs> like, like their daughter's you nine. Want the plot to develop. Yeah, yeah. I was get. I was, I was trying to think of like the most strange things. I had like a whole list of weird things. I don't know. Maybe maybe that'll go somewhere. And then um. Oh, I want to talk about uh, getting angry, like having like Irish rate because it's you know St. Patrick's. St. Patrick's. Yeah, and uh, how how that's a horrible thing. Like it's embarrassing when you get really mad, but when you're in it, it feels kind of great. You know, mm-hmm. it feels like getting a star in Super Mario Brothers. You know, <laughs> except for uh, instead of kicking turtle shells, you're kicking holes in the drywall while your girlfriend cries. That was the idea, and there was more to it. <laughs> it didn't do well. <laughs> you got to read the room, I guess. Right? Yeah, yeah. So after that, you know, once that. Ate a dick. I uh, transitioned into more rehearsed stuff, you know. So one one of my favorite sets that I've seen you do. I've only seen you do a few different ones, but yeah. it's um, and I believe it's a true story. But it's when you and your girlfriend broke up, and she wrote the article for Vogue. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Can you tell the listeners just a little tidbit about what that that's all about? Uh, we, my girlfriend and I broke up. She was a fashion writer. Um, she broke up with me, and then made me. I, did, I don't tell this on stage, but she she made me, like, unfollow her from Instagram. She made me block her on Facebook. Really? Yeah, she was like, it's done. It's This is it. She wow. made – why did you have to do it? Why couldn't she just do it? Uh, I, I don't know. Maybe she did it. I don't remember. It, But we were done. Okay. You know, we had to, like yeah, – Yeah, compl- she, she was, like – she wasn't mean about it, but she was, like, you know, we don't want we, – we shouldn't be checking in on each other. So the only way, as a as a creepy weirdo, I had of checking in on her was to read her articles, and then like right after we break up, she writes this whole thing about breakups and uh, <laughs> how to dress after after a breakup. And one of the things was like sexy lingerie to wear, you know, to like okay. go hook up with the next guy to uh, to to get over your your ex boyfriend or whatever. I mean, since then we've we've been back and forth, and we've been uh, you know we've we've reconnected a bunch of times and uh you know i get it i get it it's like that's her job she's got to pull inspiration from different places and but uh at the time it was it was a bummer so i made it into a joke 
I mean, so I mean, yeah, that's a great way to do it. Uh, so much of comedy nowadays seems that it's like people who are trying to reconcile with, um, you know, shitty things that have happened to them. Mm-hmm. So does that affect your writing um, or the jokes that you tell or your storytelling? Um, like, do you, are you conscious of, of, of talking about these things when you're on stage? Well, that particular thing, it was just it was the only thing I was thinking about for that chunk of time, you yeah. know, and like I have I have a big chunk on that. Which is kind of hard to do now because uh, because it's old news, you know, and that that kind of bothers me to say like, oh, my girlfriend just broke up with me, which she <laughs> didn't, you know, this is like, like a year ago now. But uh, yeah, it was it was the only thing I was thinking about all the time. Yeah. So it was like I couldn't write about anything else, and it just kind of it helped a ton, to be honest. I didn't, I didn't like <laughs> sometimes with this with like these comedy podcasts and stuff i listen to they they get like real philosophical and it's like it's about truth telling and you know uh you know i don't know exposing darkness or whatever and like it's kind of gross when they get into that but it was it was kind of like uh like a therapy thing even that sounds gross coming out of my mouth but yeah it was like it was a therapeutic thing to give you an excuse to talk about it and that's you know for me always what helps after a breakup yeah Um, also, it's funny you that... You want to talk about something? No, just not at all. Consoling it's, 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 I just think it's something? funny that you're talking about like these comedy podcasts, talking about all these philosophical breakthroughs, when meanwhile, like three days ago, you sent us uh, a comedian set about a chick peeing outside. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, it was fantastic. <laughs> uh, that Did you like that? <laughs> uh, that was good. I think that's that's such a great joke because it's... I mean, you listen to it. It's just beautiful. Yeah. It's like poetry. But he's talking about a girl peeing outside. I uh, mean, it's, it's, if it's poetry, it's very brusque poetry. Oh yeah, it's it's, rough. it's it's rough. But um, just the word choice. He picked every word in that in that whole bit. You know, it's very uh, deliberate. Can you? What, what's the bit for viewers to check out? By the way. Oh, it's uh, it's it's uh, Dan Saint Germain. It's on his newest album. It's on Spotify. You can find it on Spotify. Yeah, I think it was called. I think the bit was called like uh, "Me and the Ladies." Me and the Ladies. That's it. And he's done the show before, right? He's done good for you. Yeah, he did. He did it a bunch of times. He he was really a champion of the show. He he tweeted it out a bunch, but now he's in L.A. So I think he's he's a relatively big name nowadays. Yeah, yeah. Um, So now that the the bit has kind of aged, this is an interesting part of comedy for me because you Mm -hmm. see, uh, I feel like. Recently, we've heard comedians talk about the age of the internet and how it kind of affects comedians. Like, it used to be that you could develop a 10-minute bit and take it on the road and live with it. Yeah. And now, with social media, you've got people like Louis C.K. with a new hour every year. Mm -hmm. And you've got your bits being posted on social media, sometimes without your consent. So, like, how do you keep up? Are you going to take that bit and adjust it, or are you just going to throw it out the window and write something new? Um, I don't think I'm good enough right now to just be generating like that. Like mm-hmm. recently I wrote a bunch of jokes about the Oscars and, and Valentine's Day. And then I, and, and I was like really coasting off that for a while because I thought they were pretty good. And then <laughs> that stuff was gone. And now that all that material has gone. And so, uh, I am still doing the girlfriend stuff until but, next year. Yeah. Until next year. <laughs> well, hopefully Will Smith doesn't go to the Oscars again and I can <laughs> recycle that material. But, uh, yeah. Um, I think it's. It's important to keep generating stuff, and I think um, if if you do just take your own your 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 set bits, your generic you know whatever bits about dating and you know whatever uh, that type of stuff, and and keep doing it over and over again, you're not growing and you're not getting better. And uh, so it's I think it's important to generate all the time. So I'm trying to do that anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, and I don't know if um, the internet or any of that stuff is really impeding me right now because nobody knows who I am at all. But uh, but yeah, it's just, I think it's just important in general to keep writing 
new, well, better stuff. How do you see comedians in that ecosystem of like content creators? Because you have so many people that are, you know, influencers and bloggers and, you know, storytellers. And I mean, we see this with authors. We see it with, with journalists. We see it with uh, comedians, business professionals. I mean, we see it with teachers nowadays where these people are just like pumping out as many articles as they can, as many tweets, as many Facebook posts, as many Snapchats. Um, because they want to constantly keep their audience engaged and they want to feel like they have a platform to say what they want to say. Mm -hmm. And comedians are doing that and they're trying to elicit a different kind of emotion than, you know, a a novelist or something. Um, However, they're still trying to, you know, capture that audience. And, you know, how are you seeing that affect you, especially with an industry that's so driven by, you know, actual events, which I actually think is the big difference with comedy is that, you know, you can get people away from their computer in front of a stage. Um, but how do you use social media to do things like promote people to get to that stage? Get to what stage? I'm not sure. To, to, a, to a comedy show. Oh, to a comedy show. Yeah. Uh, as far as promoting, I, I really don't. People ask me this all the time, like, how do we get that many people into the show? I don't know how it happened. It's been organic over a long time. <laughs> I've used, you know, I've tried everything. I've, I've, you know, Reddit was a big help for us for a while. I've bought Facebook ads. I don't know if that did anything. Twitter ads, I don't know if that did anything. Uh, I, I do have a web page. I do have facebook twitter um all we made that a video stuff. once made a video yeah. with kyle i think it was i think that was super funny that was like i think one of the best things we did problem is we put all the wrong dates in it so i can't <laughs> <laughs> can't reuse it at all <laughs> but we've changed the dates since then but um yeah all that stuff for a while we were, we were taping everybody's sets and putting them on youtube and that yeah. seemed to work a little bit and we've gotten to the point now where we just have this following so hopefully that just stays consistent. And now that we have a set date, I think well, that's what really helps us. Have you ever tried to reverse engineer that following into like building this platform out so that you can you know expand to more people? Um, I don't know, taking like starting to create these YouTube videos again, and then you know you can sell sponsorships or something to it. We've talked about all that. We've talked about expanding it in different ways, but um, ultimately, I, th- I think I'm just pretty happy with uh, having my own outlet for testing all this stuff uh, as far as my my material goes you know yeah. Cause I, I like producing the show and i like i i mean i love i'm super nerd so i love watching these guys every month but ultimately i want to do it i want to do it professionally i want to be where these people are so i think that's the coolest part and i'm like super happy that we just keep growing in that way we keep cramming more people in the back of that mexican restaurant and they seem to be enjoying it and I also want an alternative to the other shows i went to which just seemed kind of um like a cash grab or like they were booking people uh, because they knew people, they were going to get asses in the seats or whatever, and we're very particular about who we get, and everybody has to be outstanding. And uh, I just like that. I think I – think That's great. I mean, you might be a poor businessman, but I – Right. Mean, you oh, put well, on a, you put yeah, on that's a been established. That show is free, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's been documented. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> I've lost so much money on that show, by the way. So much money. Well, my tax uh, lady was like uh, – this is not a business. This is a hobby. You have to stop claiming this on your taxes <laughs> because you are losing an outstanding amount of money. <laughs> okay. Oh, well, man. that puts everything in perspective. Well, you're also dealing with quite a cast of characters there at Cantina Royale, right? It's not like the space is the most uh, well-designed space yeah. for comedy. Yeah, yeah. There was a lot of work to get to that point, right? Right, yeah. I mean, it's been uh, – we left for a while. We went to a black box theater, and that was – fine but i don't know the guys that ran that were were like like wouldn't show up or whatever so then we went back because for a while i was renting i was literally renting that space for a lot of money at cantina royale yeah to have that back room it was like 250 bucks a A show how did you make that money back 
We didn't. I didn't really? make the money you, back. I've lost. I'm telling you, I've lost a lot of money on this wow. thing. I think but I mean, this is what I want to do. Yeah. What's that? I said I'm starting to see your tax woman's perspective. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> well, it's not as bad now. Now they, you know, they throw us a few bucks, but it's not, you know, it's not a ton. But right, that's but not what, what it's you, about. It's what you want to do? Right. Yeah, it's not what it's about. I mean, ultimately, if I get really good at this, which I think I'm on my way, but I, I, you know. Like I, you know, you saw you saw me do that show the other night. Oh yeah, and that was a fun show, and I, I think I did well. I got to you know like headline it or whatever. But it, I still was only doing ten minutes, and if I was going to go any any longer, it was going to start getting bad. So uh, as I build more material, maybe I'll be able to make some money back. Well, somewhere. this is uh, so. This has been a cool thing for me to see from the outside, like having been there at the beginning of the show, and yeah. then seeing the genesis of you deciding to actually make a run at doing comedy itself. To see you going from that point, and I think I was there the first time you hosted, and hosting is a different beast in and of itself, right? Mm-hmm. It's not stand-up um, in the conventional sense because there's a lot of crowd work, right? And you're mostly well, yeah, you, you do a you do a chunk up up top, and then you got to try to. How much of that chunk up is like written bits versus stuff you're just thinking about on that day? Most of it's written, and then usually when I'm. In the subway on, on the way to the the show, I'll try to think of like a different way of starting it or a different way to transition. And then, as every comedian goes up, I try to listen to their set and then write a quick thing in my head. You know, he was saying this, or like, you know, quote his joke and then riff off of that. And uh, sometimes that goes well, and sometimes it does not. But and then uh, you take a walk around the block. Right? Yeah, and then you chug another tecate and uh, <laughs> you try again. But it's been cool to see you make this transition from somebody who's just starting out in comedy to seeing you kill with 10 minutes like you did on Saturday night at QED, mm-hmm. which was a show by your friend, right? Yeah, Patrick <laughs> Holbert. And his Funny show is guy. called? I uh, do not know the name of that show. It I was, also don't know the he name has of the show. I'm, bunch sure, I'm of sorry, them. Patrick. Check out Patrick Holbert. He's got a ton of shows around Moderately the handsome man with a beard who does a show at QED sometimes. Moderately. Not really handsome. He said it himself. He, he was like, I'm a, I'm a... He said forgettably handsome. Forgettably <laughs> handsome. I'm sorry. I mince words. Patrick, we'll talk. Sorry, Patrick. Uh, but maybe... So I think this bleeds a little bit into the story because I do want to talk about how thoughts and experiences become jokes. So let's get into the story. Okay. So the story you have for us today... Oh, the story. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. This is something, by the way, that you haven't told before, right? I, I tried it one time on stage very early on, mm-hmm. and uh, I'd never told a story before. And I don't think I'm really necessarily a, a storyteller comic. So, and it was this was also at an open mic, so all those things combined, it did not go well. <laughs> <laughs> How badly did you bomb, scale of one to ten? Oh, man, ten, did, I guess. Did people leave? No, 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 no. Nobody's nobody's been. It was an open mic. Like again with open mics, this is eight people not paying attention to begin with. So you, it's your job to grab them, and I did not do that with this story. <laughs> so what is the story? Let's see. Let's see how far you've come. Okay. Um, I would say six, seven years ago, when I hadn't been in the city for very long, um, I was like a just a sweet Midwestern boy, not this city hardened man you see before you, and. Uh, I had a public access show with the same guy I was talking about earlier, Eric Schmidt. Uh, the show was called Talking Schmidt, and it was a talk show where we would have like our, our friends on as guests. It wasn't good. It wasn't a, fu- it wasn't a funny show because we both had full-time jobs, so we weren't working like particularly hard on the show. We wanted to do like a Tom Green type of Eric Andre thing. But um, yeah, so one day my buddy Eric was working at the Philharmonic. He was like a, a manager for people that cold-called people that go to the symphony to try to get money. And he worked he worked with this guy and he called me one day. He was he was like in a panic. He was like 
my buddy at the Philharmonic knows Daniel Radcliffe, and Daniel Radcliffe is in town for this play. I think it was uh, How to Make It in Business Without Even Trying, and uh, he wants to do our show. He's going to be on our. He'll be on Talking Schmidt. And I was like, holy shit! This is this is the ticket. You know, we're gonna. <laughs> I'm gonna produce and direct. Cha-ching, yeah, cha-ching, the, the Tonight Show with Eric Schmidt. You know, that's this is gonna be it. This is our ticket to fame. So, uh, so we make plans to meet this guy at a bar of his choosing. This uh, this uh, older guy that Eric worked with, and he was going to get Harry Potter to come to the bar after his play. So that was the plan. So we we go to this bar. This guy tells us to go to. We're we're psyched. We're gonna meet Harry Potter. I was like, we're gonna be his best friend. Like, even if this falls through, <laughs> we're gonna be best buds f- forever. You know, I'm gonna marry Hermione. We live, you know, uh, happily ever after. So we get to this bar. It's in the middle of nowhere. Like you know how like most of Manhattan, there's uh, there's restaurants and bars and things to do. This is like you know, there's, there's tiny areas where it's just like a tire shop and then like an old warehouse and then there was this bar. It was like a box. It was it was super small. It was it was a dive, but it was it was worse than that. It was I, I don't know how to explain it. It was it was dusty. Everybody in there was creepy. It was like older men with uh, with like hoodies on and like sunglasses. Um, it was a gay bar, which we found out later. But um, not like not like the gay bar that you think of now. Like I think it's more like um, like in the seventies when being gay was like. Pretty much illegal. And, so, so this was pre-gay marriage with sunglasses and hoodies. Yeah, this was like people uh, are hiding their identities. Right, right. This is more than just a regular gay bar, and it was um, is Broadway themed. So there's all these like playbills on the walls and stuff. And uh, there was the bar, the regular bar where they served canned beer and whiskey, and then there was a second bar next to that bar, which is the guy selling cocaine. <laughs> Just like right in the next, middle of the bar, in the middle of the bar, in the open, like and he, there's a whole bar for it. It's not just one guy on a table in the corner. It's a bar for cocaine. It's a bar, yeah. Wow. It's a separate bar. It was like collapsible. We're gonna need you to uh, write down the name of this <laughs> oh, place no. for research. No, 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 no. I feel like if the owner found out I was even talking about this, I mean, this was a sketchy place. Like this I, wasn't. No, not at all. It doesn't sound like that. So yeah, we go in there, and 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 like I said before. I feel like we were so naive. We were just like, oh, this is nice. Like, we were trying not to be judgy, you know? And, uh, you know, we're used to drinking at dive bars or whatever, but this was like... This was next level. Yeah, this could have been in Detroit. Like, it didn't <laughs> seem like it, it should be in Manhattan. So we go in there, we, we sit down, and then uh, we order a couple of PBRs, and Eric's buddy shows up, and he's this gay guy in his, like, 50s. This very skinny gay guy, and uh, he seems nice, but a little weird. I don't know. I don't know why Harry Potter would be friends with this guy, but sure, whatever. Who you know? Who knows? So we sit down with the guy, and the guy is uh, he's buying us drinks like hand over fist, and then he he like goes in the bathroom, and the bartender is like, "Hey, you listen, this guy's a regular here. He's a nice guy. He's a pushover. It's like don't you take advantage of him by just drinking all his drinks." So we're like, "All right." This right, guy's so, got friends. Yeah, yeah, he's got friends. He knows everybody at the bar. And so um and he's he's in between drinks buying little baggies of cocaine from the from from the of second course, bar. He frequents the cocaine bar. Yeah, yeah. Who wouldn't? 
So, uh, so yeah, so we're drinking with him. We said we start feeling bad. He's buying us all these shots, and, and occasionally we're like, "Hey, what's going on with uh, Harry Potter?" And he'll like take his phone out and he'll text and he'll be like, "Oh, he, you know, the play just ended. He's he's at a party. You know, he'll swing by afterwards." We're like, "Okay, all right, fine." So we start buying this guy drinks because we want to meet Harry Potter, and uh, and at one point, the guy goes, um, "So which one used the crazy one?" Like who? Who's the crazy one in the bunch? And, and I don't know why. Eric, you know Eric. No, oh, I he, know Eric. He just says things. I don't. He just. I, there's no rhyme or reason. He just says. And he starts going. Ian is nuts, man. Like Ian is a party <laughs> animal. Like I don't even compare to. Which is weird. I don't know why he would say that. So the so the the guy, the older guy, is like, okay, all right. And then we continue drinking, and we're having a good time, but we're also a little weirded out. And uh, so I, I get up and go to the bathroom, and uh, I'm in the bathroom, and I'm peeing, and uh, the guy comes in, the older guy, and he takes the mirror off the wall, and I look at the mirror. The mirror's just, it's smudged with, like, 30 years of just cocaine spit from just, like, putting down cocaine, snorting it, and then just licking off the remnants. So he's doing lines. He hangs the, he hangs the mirror back up. And he uh, he blocks the door, and he's just like swaying at this point. And he uh, just pulls out a big wad of cash, and he's just like, uh, "How much to suck your dick?" And I'm like, uh, "That's okay, you know, I'm fine." Because I still want to meet Harry Potter at this point, you know what I mean? So I, I don't want to offend him. So I'm like, uh, "That's that's all right. Um, I, I don't need your your money or anything." So he goes, uh, "Would you like prostitutes? Would you like black girls? I'll buy you." A black hooker. I'm like, uh, you know, I'm doing okay. Uh, I'm just gonna go. I'm gonna go back. So I push him aside, and I go back to the bar and sit down with Eric. And we st- we still stayed out for a while with this guy. And eventually, we were like, is is uh, is Harry Potter gonna show up? And he 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 leaves and he makes a phone call and he comes back. He's like, ah, he went to bed. He can't he can't hang out. So uh, so we're like, okay, that's fine. And we stayed out all night with this dude. And we both went home. We walked. I remember us walking home together and being like, you know, that's okay. We'll get him the next time. You know, we'll just hang out with this guy again. You know, he tried to suck suck my dick in the bathroom, but that's fine. You know, that's okay. <laughs> We're accepting of different <laughs> of different sexualities or sexual preferences. So, uh, so yeah. And then you know, it, we didn't talk to the guy again. The guy ended up getting fired like the next week. And then Eric and I. Didn't talk about this for like years, and then we sat down one day and we started retelling the story to somebody. And it wasn't until then, like three years later, that we were like, "That guy didn't know Harry Potter. <laughs> 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 that guy had never met Daniel Radcliffe." That whole time, we were just like, "Oh, maybe, maybe we missed our chance." It's <laughs> the weirdest version of waiting for Godot I think I've ever heard. <laughs> So, uh, have you kept tabs on this guy? Do you know where he is now? What he's doing? I'm not. I, I got to ask Eric is what's going on with somewhere? that guy. I, I think he just he got fired, and then that was that was the last one. Uh, years later, I did. I was um, in that part of town, and I did. And I pop, met Harry Potter. Yeah, no, I wish. <laughs> uh, I did pop into that bar though, and had a few drinks, and it was the same bartender. Oh my god, it was the same bartender. Yeah, the same bartender. Was it still like is creepy. Was there still a cocaine bar it, to the it, side? Well, this was at like. 6 p.m. So okay. I don't think they bring out the Coke bar until <laughs> till later. But yeah, that it's is still unbelievable. Burly and that's gay in Manhattan. Guy. Yeah, that's in Manhattan yeah. right now, mm-hmm. somewhere. It's St. Patrick's Day, so that's probably going on as we speak. 
Yeah, but it's not a place you would just go to. You know what I mean? It's not in walking distance, really, of the subway. You got it's a trek, and it's uh, there's not much around there. There's some like um, we can't get into specific horse though, stables. Right? We can't give it away. Well, I'll tell you afterwards if you want. Horse stables in yeah. Manhattan? Yeah, that's where they keep like the the horses. For oh, the, the horses for the police. For the police and well, I don't and know the, for what. I, w- I would think for the carriages. Yeah. I went to the cops first. They have yeah. horses. I don't um, know why. So why couldn't you tell this story? I mean, yeah, I uh, for, say, what part other, bombs? other than for all the obvious reasons, but well, I mean, I don't know how long I just talked just then, but when you go up on stage and you, it's like eight minutes. I thought it. Means. Yeah, when you get four minutes to tell a story and yeah. you just power through it, and also, like I said, the first time telling a story, you're like, well, I've never done that before. That's an extra nervousness that yeah. sets in, especially when you're new. I did one when I was really new, mm-hmm. you know, and I don't know if it's like laugh out loud hysterical story. It's well, I mean, you can, like you a, can like you know cut parts and like make it punchier and yeah. But I mean, it could work for sure. Just yeah, yeah. I write jokes. Throw throw in some spells. <laughs> some spells. <laughs> so he pulls That's a his, good idea. Pulls <laughs> his mirror off the table and then expel the armus and all the coke was gone. Well, so do you remember doing this bit? Do, do you remember doing this bit on stage and how badly you bombed? Yeah. Um, if you were going to try and tell it now, is there mm-hmm. a process that you would go through? Would you write out the story? Yeah. Would you like? I, um, I don't know if I would. I don't write anything out. I just don't do it. But uh, I think I would try to stick a joke in every few beats. You know what I mean? Like, um, do you call that pacing in comedy? Yeah, timing, pacing. Yeah, pacing. It's better, I think. Uh, but yeah, maybe describe the bar in a funny way. You know, um, Every few seconds, they say every thirty seconds. There's, if you're telling a story, there should be a joke. So really, yeah. So uh, I, didn't, I didn't do that now. related jokes. I didn't know that was like a right. hard and fast rule. Every thirty seconds. Yeah, there's all there's all these rules. I mean, you can follow it or not, but like rules of three and stuff like that. But I would imagine as you get farther into comedy, you start to see those places to put the jokes a little bit clearer. Mm-hmm. Right? It yeah. becomes more obvious. It becomes obvious. Yeah. Um, I got to tell you when Eric. Eric reached out to me separately when he found out you were doing the show, mm-hmm. and he started rattling off different stories that you could have told us. Right. <laughs> and one of them... What a friend. Well, so I, <laughs> maybe this is a better way to frame it. Which ones do you think he would have brought up? Because I would imagine there's at least a... You know, the Harry Potter story is fantastic. There's a lot of drama. Um, there's an interesting revelation somewhere in the middle. Yeah. But what do you think the other options are? Well, okay, knowing Eric, here's the thing that you'd... There's something you don't realize about these stories that mm. Eric told you. Okay. Do, do, you, do you know what it is? Well, I, can't, I, I haven't realized it yet. Okay, I'm going to tell you. <laughs> They're fake. Eric tells fake stories. Wait a second. We never met Keanu Reeves. Are you kidding me? <laughs> no. Dude, he told me Eric on does this He thing. walked me through this story for I know. Like 20 minutes. I know. He told me to do it here. This is this thing Eric does <laughs> where he sits you down. No way. And he starts telling you a story and he's... The whole goal is for you to at some point realize that he's just bullshitting. He puts in a bunch of details. He goes on and on and on and on. He does it with jokes, too. He'll tell you a joke that could last a half hour if you let him do it, and he'll just keep adding details. This is mind-blowing. So you never met Keanu Reeves? No. He wasn't at a party with you guys? No. That's Eric's Eric's go-to. Yeah, that's Eric's go-to. He gave me the details, too. He was like, you tell him him that that, – Keanu paid for weed, but he didn't smoke any. Like, he, he gives me these tiny details to he say. He also told me that he washed his face multiple times throughout the night for no reason. Yeah, yeah. Wasn't really that talkative. 
But you met him out at the bar. Man, he went really into this depth for a This is a specific story, that, story that Eric has been telling since high school. So he's been workshopping it. Yeah. He, him and his buddy, like, tag team it. Has it always been you who meets No, I just found that. out about this. He, he was telling me to do this for this podcast. Oh, he was God. like, here's the thing you got to do. He does this with uh, – he, he tells a joke about two people that are in a tree, and uh, a bull is running at the tree, and then he just keeps – describing details and, and, and other examples and he, he starts snickering like the, the punchline is coming but it never comes like I, I've seen him running at the tree yeah I don't know the whole specifics but I've seen him corner people at bars and do this and it's like if they're nice people they'll <laughs> yeah okay <laughs> and then and then, you know start checking and their watch what, and yeah. stuff and it's just hysterical to him so I have, I have a question um, when you are you know coming up with your jokes and stuff are you cognizant of like who is going to be listening to them like, you know, if you told the Harry Potter story, would you tell it differently if there was, like, a, like completely, if the whole audience was gay or something? Like, how, mm. how much does reading the room affect how you tell a certain bit? Oh, man. I don't think I would edit a bit to appeal to certain people in the group or in, in the audience. I think that's kind of gross. You know what I mean? Like, uh, so I think, not much. I think people appreciate the fact that you're just being you yeah. on stage people can people can sense too when you're starting to edit stuff you know like uh but i mean like in not editing you're gonna offend some people i don't think so i don't think so i think the people that get offended the most i mean i don't know how much you're gonna get into this but like our white straight people that's yeah. who gets offended by stuff and you, you know you go to uh harlem and you do a show and you talk about black people they like it well, it's weird. It's it's the it's the opposite of what you think. Also, if if you're if you're not telling like like that story I just told was there there was no never a point when I was like you know where I was insulting towards gay people. No, no, no. Of course you know not. I mean? And but what I'm saying is like the way that it's received though, because uh, for example, I was at a show um, this past weekend where the host made a joke about um, at some point STDs came up, and somebody in the audience came up, and I don't know why the host gave her the microphone, but he did. And she, yeah, it was a terrible move because, you know, there's 200 people in the audience and this girl, you know, starts telling everybody a story about when she was assaulted and she actually, you know, got an STD from it and she was like incredibly offended and he was never addressing her (laughs) and he was never, you know, making an issue with her, but, um, you know, she was offended and there's not really any way that you can come back and say like, Hey, I'm sorry. Like I didn't mean to, um, I mean, that's exactly what he said. And he was really good about it. He, uh, you know, at some point he's like, I wasn't really addressing you. And everybody started clapping and he told everybody to stop. And um, But have you run into that? And and how do you deal with it? I haven't run into that, no. That's I good. Think, um, I think in that situation it's it's a bummer that she went through that. But, yeah. I mean, like, how was he supposed to know? Exactly. And, you know what I mean? And, and that's how I think I would feel about it if I was telling a joke like that. It's like, well, that didn't really have – this joke didn't have anything to do with you. You kind of – Yeah. You kind of – Took that on yourself. yourself, yeah. Um, I don't know. It's tough. It's getting tougher too. Um, you don't want to offend anybody, and you don't want to be an offensive person. But at the same time, you can't. There's no accounting for taste, you know. And and some people are just going to be offended no matter what. And and if they are, then it's kind of on them. And I can't really do anything about that. Also, I don't know if I do any material that specifically offend people you so know as I mean? a as a non-comedian having heard people talk about the concept of reading the room mm-hmm. what does that mean to you like what oh well when you say that? reading the room i think more along the lines of like today when i did an open mic everybody was so checked out throughout mm-hmm. the entire thing 
and uh, I should have done more punchy stuff. Well, it, it didn't matter because it wasn't a show, so I didn't I didn't care if they laughed. Mm-hmm. I, I know them, you know. Well, you I, care. Yeah, I mean, of course I do. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I shouldn't care. Is what I should say. But um, if there's a room like that, they're real checked out and they're real like uh, you know they're not li- really listening. Then you want to do punchy quick stuff. I would I would say that's what reading a room would be. You know, if everybody's real attentive and like hanging on your every word, then maybe you could go into a long convoluted story with you know jokes. Okay, sport, so you know the the punchline it builds to the punchline or whatever. That would be like reading a room. You know, so or maybe. Less- Maybe they just want to hear crowd work. Maybe you could just feel that. Maybe a bunch of people went up and they didn't respond to anything besides uh, people that made fun of people's shirts or whatever. And then you, you do that. I don't think it's so much as uh, I guess. I guess if if everybody pulls back from like sex stuff or whatever, maybe you should shy away from it. But then at the same time, like, and I wish I was more like this, but it's kind of like fuck them, you know? <laughs> like this is funny, so take it. <laughs> I'm going to do it either way. Yeah. Whether you laugh or not. Right. So it's less about the demographics of the room and more about the attention level. Like how many people are paying attention? What are they paying attention to? I think I think you would want a mixed room. I think that's the ideal. Uh, and I think people a lot of times look at a room and think, uh, oh, uh, this person's going to be offended or this. But a lot of times you see people go up on stage, especially at open mics, and they start uh, – like men will start pandering to women and start talking about how like – awful men are or uh, if there's like black people in the crowd they start like shitting on white people like shitting on themselves for being white and it's like nobody wants that it's so transparent you're pandering you know yeah. we know what you're doing mm-hmm. just tell your jokes and as long as it's not malicious we're all gonna understand that you can point out differences who, between who, people. who's a guy that always does your show is it mike jones um, mike jones he does the joke where he's talking about how uh, he lives in harlem and like all the white people move to my my uh, neighborhood and steal my apartment, like they think I'm going to steal their purse or something. Um, I butchered that. But. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not sure who that is. But okay, <laughs> never mind. <laughs> but a, yeah, but but that's a good enough. example though because yeah. like my show as Williamsburg gets more gentrified is like mostly white. Uh, unfortunately, I wish it was more diverse. The crowd, but uh, and then and then a guy like that, like a like a black guy, goes on stage and talks about white people. The white people don't shut down. They're not like you know, fuck this guy. They're like you know, we get it. There's differences, and and we can point out that stuff and laugh together. And like you can do that as a white guy. So I don't think you should. <coughs> I think if you go on stage and you you see some gay people or a black person, you can't assume that if you talk about sex or race that they're gonna they're going to get offended that's that'd be dumb of them that'd be silly and they probably aren't you know it'd be hard to check yourself for every single person in the audience who may or may not get offended right and also isn't the point of comedy like kind of pointing this stuff out a little bit well i want to thank you for coming on the show oh thanks um when people want to find more of your comedy as it becomes available where should they go uh, i'll go to ianhuntcomedy.com it's kind of garbage right now but i'm working on not a terrible looking website. It's fine. It looks fine. It's being uh, open mic right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, workshop. Um, just follow me on Twitter. I hunt. That's where I, I post jokes a bunch. That's on a there. great handle. You're also one of the most prolific Snapchatters that I know. Oh, thank you. Like the, uh, do you draw that stuff with a stylus or is it all hands? Yeah, stylus. Okay. Yeah. Because it's unreal. So you should follow Ian Hunt on Snapchat as well if you can. I hunt one two. Is that? Uh, and Good For You Comedy is a show that happens in Williamsburg, if you're in New York, the first Saturday of every month yep. at Cantina Royale mm-hmm. in Williamsburg in the back of the bar. There's a, there's a webpage, goodforyoucomedy.com. 
the Twitter is Good For You NYC, and we're also on Facebook, Good For You Comedy. What the fuck was that? I told you it was going to be weird, and I also told you that I couldn't do it justice. And I like Harry Potter didn't even show up. <laughs> I think that's the best part of the story, to be honest. Yeah, I guess, but like, I mean, talk about disappointment. Or, 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 talk about expectations met. Okay, that's Kyle. I'm Jeff. You can find us online at www.podcast.com. Make sure to subscribe to our newsletter at tinyletter.com slash podcast. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes and SoundCloud and follow us wherever social media is sold. The music that you heard at the top and the bottom of the show is from Ryan Dan of Holland Patton Public Library, who you can find online at hollandpattonpubliclibrary.com. Peace.